Okay, so before we go to lesson six, are there any final thoughts uh, on lesson five? I, I promised you to give you a chance if you want to say some things about that. Remember the point of lesson five was to make the point that conflict and problems and mistakes are inevitable in marriage. They're inevitable. But practicing true Christianity, being a disciple at all times, that will help us resolve the conflict. So we're not making the point that problems are not going to happen. Oh, they're going to happen. They're going to happen. But we can always get through them if we always do things God's way. If we always behave as true disciples of Jesus Christ. So some of the solutions we had from Sunday uh, included acknowledging positives, uh, resolving little things along the way, learning to let some things go, forgiveness, big one, learning to be gracious and patient, uh, the golden rule, this is often called Matthew 7, 12, treat others like you want to be treated, that certainly applies to marriage, choose peace over pride, giving in is not a weakness, always remember that, Brother also gave a good comment about not majoring in the minors, really like that one, and then... Always remember your vows. Remember what you promised God and the person you married on your wedding day. But before we move on, was there any final thoughts on that? Because I do have something I want to read to you from some extra material that I have called 10 Rules for a Good, Clean Fight. This was written by a dear friend of mine named Brent Hunter. Brent Hunter used to teach at Florida College. He was a professor at Florida College. He's a, a kind of a, a marriage guru to a degree. He was preaching up in, a, in Washington at the Kirkland Congregation. I've preached there before, um, and I'll be preaching there again soon. Uh, but uh, Brent gave me some material here. He sent me some stuff that I thought was pretty good. And uh, did anybody have just some final things on this while I read this list to you? Because I, I think you'll find this interesting. Uh, Ten rules for a good, clean fight. You might want to just jot these things down. Maybe you want to just jot them down, and I'll repeat them a couple of times for you. Rule number one. Rule number one. And there, in your book, there is a spot for additional notes. Uh, a spot for that was Jason's idea, which was a great idea, by the way, Jason. Uh, rule number one. Be driven by love. When you have conflicts, anything you do, make sure it's driven by love. Remember Ephesians 5.25? Tells husbands to love their wives. Titus 2, verse 4. Older women are teaching the younger women to love their husbands. Everything we do in marriage, it must be driven by love, rooted in love. So that's the first step. Next one, do your thing to cool off. Sometimes you got to do that. And, and that may mean getting away for a little bit. I think Jason made a point on that on Sunday that sometimes that's necessary. I'm not saying you do it permanently, but you might have to get out, get out the room for a little bit. Might have to take a little drive. Oops. Take a drive a little bit. Uh, whatever you got to do to cool off. Let's do some music. I don't know. Go read a Bible passage. Go pray. <clears throat> do what you got to do to cool off. Because when we continue on and we're real angry and we're fired up, that can lead to more problems. They can put gasoline on the fire, right? So you may have your way of cooling off a little bit, and that's fine. That's fine. Number three, argue with the right person. And this is what that means. Argue with the right person. Remember who you're really angry with. And, and the context of this is this. 
Sometimes we come home and we take stuff out on our spouse, but we're really mad at someone else. You know what I mean? You could maybe mad at your boss. You, 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 somebody at the job got you mad. And we come home and we bring it home with us. We don't leave work at work. Uh, I've, Don Truex, dear friend of mine, brother Don Truex, always said uh, that sometimes what he would do is just sit in the car a little bit before going to the house and just remind himself, those, those people in there had nothing to, nothing to do with how I feel right now. They, they, they didn't do it. So argue with the right person. Don't, let's not take things out on our spouse and our kids, our frustrations with other people out on them. They didn't do it. Uh, number four, argue about the right thing. So you want to argue with the right person, argue about the right thing. And here's the context of that. So often, many marriage conflicts are really about an unspoken agenda, my notes say. Well, you're arguing about the wrong stuff. So here's an example he put in the notes. Husbands criticize his wife's housekeeping when the real complaint is a lack of intimacy in the relationship. So... He's really upset about one thing, but he's trying to act like he's mad about this right here. They're not arguing about the right thing. Wives criticize her husband's tardiness when the real issue is she's feeling neglected. You see that? So you got to deal one problem at a time and deal with the right problem. That's not cover it up and mask it. You know, if I, if I really have an issue with intimacy, that's what we need to talk about and not just criticize my wife, for something that's got nothing to do with how I really feel. And that goes with communication we'll talk about in a little bit. Number five, argue at the right time. Argue at the right time. Don't do it in front of company. Don't do it in front of your kids. Uh, don't do it right after work. Because a lot of times when you come off of work, you're tense. And you, need to, you, you don't need to do that right after work. It's not going to go well a lot of times. Argue at the right time. Uh, number six, don't be his, historical. You know, that's pretty obvious, right? Always bringing up stuff. You start having problems and you want to bring up stuff from five months ago or five years ago when you should have forgiven your spouse over that. But you want to be historical. So you got a conflict going on and then you want to bring up all this other stuff. To add fuel for the fire because it's making you feel good. I want to get it all out now. That's not going to lead to solutions. When something is over, let it be over. When we forgive, let's really forgive. Number seven, don't raise your voice. Loudness does not make things better. It does not communicate love. In fact, often when we start getting louder, the louder we get, the more hurtful things that come out of our mouths. So we need to control our voices. Number eight, avoid name calling. We'll talk more about that tonight in communication, the name calling. That ruins respect, brings self-esteem down. It's not going to make things better. Tackle the problem, not the person. Number nine, avoid stamp saving. Stamp saving. <laughs> Some save up grievances like stamps. Wait until the book is full to cash in. You, you get into an argument, you start unloading. Unloading everything. We're talking about this problem, but now you want to talk about the cooking. You want to talk about something you're mad about that, that you think I did wrong yesterday. 
Just unload 20 different things when we need to, as I said before, handle one problem at a time. So when something comes up, don't put it off. Deal with it. Instead of stamp, say, well, I'm going to hold this till later. No, that's bad. Don't do that. And then, number 10, don't focus on winning. It's not about winning. But so often that's what we want to do. We want to win the argument, right? What should be the goal, ultimately? Resolve it. You want to resolve it. You want a resolution. You don't want to win an argument. And that, that takes humility. So, just kind of want to give you those things. I hope that helps. I know there's a lot more we can say about that. Uh, we all deal with it. We all know about it. Young people, you will know about it. But don't let it scare you from marriage. It's just life. It's life. Every family deals with it. It happens in the church. It happens in when you're growing up with, you know, your mama and your siblings. It happens in marriage. We get through it. It's, 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 it's part of life. But love, real love for your spouse, real love for God can get you through anything. So let's talk about communication. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on a few things tonight. First, I'm going to start with this introductory stuff. Bible's full of communication. Full of it. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. How does God create the world? Through speaking. He said, let there be light. God brought everything into existence through talking, through speaking. So the Bible starts with communication. There's something in your book on page 25 about the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. And I thought that was very interesting, that on page 25, how it made the point. You remember that big tower the people were making because they wanted to really use it as a rallying point. They didn't want to separate from each other. So they built this huge tower. That could keep them together when God wanted them after the flood to separate and populate the whole earth. And so God, to force them to separate, confused the language. So Chinese-speaking people had to stay together. And African-speaking people had to stay together, etc., etc. Spanish-speaking people had to stay together. You're only going to stay with the folks that you can, who understand you. And so in the book it says when their communication was good, they cooperated. When their communication was good, everything worked smoothly. When their com communication was good, nothing could stop them. But when their communication broke down, chaos resulted. When their communication broke down, they could not work together. When their communication broke down, they separated from each other. And that marriage. Same thing's true with marriage. Those same principles in the Tower of Babel is really how it works in every relationship when it comes to communication. I think about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, God constantly communicated with them. Mostly through prophets. God sent them prophets. He could have spoke to them any way he wanted to, but he sent them prophets to get his will across to them. And then think about us. Believe it or not, this is an amazing thought if you stop to think about it. God actually has a communication process with us. He didn't have to have that. God could be like, y'all are little and feeble and sinful. You don't deserve to talk to me, and I don't want to hear from you. God could do that, and he would be just and righteous. But God actually has a communication process. He speaks to us through his word, through his son Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, through his apostles, through his word. We speak to him how? Through prayer. That's how we talk to God. And if think about preaching. I mean, my job, what I do with my life is all about communication. 
My goal every Sunday, even right now, is to communicate with you clearly so you can understand. If a preacher is not being understood, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He must be understood. And Jesus was understood. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, you need to hear, you need to listen. So I speak, I preach, I teach, you listen. That's how it works. And that's communication. So this is what we're going to do today. There's three things we're going to talk about, okay? Communication. We want to talk about why it's vital. Why is it important in marriage? I want to hear from you on these things. If you have some things you want to say, how can we abuse communication? How do we do it effectively? Those are really the three things I want to hit tonight. I know there's a lot more we can say about this, but due to time, I think these three things will serve us well, hopefully bless our marriages, okay? So let's talk about what do y'all think? Why is communication so vital in marriage? Anybody have any thoughts? Want to start us up on that as you think about your own marriage? Maybe you want to get married. Uh, why, why is communication so important? And, and good communication. Let me say it that way. What do y'all think? Nobody wants to communicate with me. That's not good. No. <laughs> Lisa, yes, ma'am. Well, when you're learning about something, that's how you learn about someone. Mm -hmm. But to get to know someone, you need to have open communication. So I'm just going to put learning. Learning about your mate. Yes. Yes. How do you learn? How do you know what that person likes and doesn't like? How do you know what their needs are? What their feelings are? Their relationship with God. Their relationship with God. Their background. These things are important. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Allison, was your hand up, ma'am? Um, yeah, I was just going to say it's how you connect. Yes. It's how you create connections. So when you're not communicating with your spouse, then you're getting further away from each other. I actually put that in my notes, Allison. I say it's about connection, and this is what I put down. I put down through communication, we connect, we draw closer to one another. Draw closer to your mate through communication. You become intimate. See, intimacy is not just about sex. It's more to it. A whole lot more to it. And for women, often is the case, it starts with communication, making her feel loved, making her feel important. That's where it starts. Man, and, and we'll get to that more as we get to Jason's going to do a lesson on sexual science. Glad he's doing that lesson, not me, by the way. <laughs> but, but women and men are turned on differently. Men are more like a light switch, as often said. Women are like a, like a light switch. It's a process a lot of times. And often it starts with connecting, being intimate, and communication. Uh, so you, you, you can become intimate and you form unity. How do you get that oneness, that unity in marriage? Communication, good communication is critical in getting that oneness God wants in the relationship. That's good. I like that idea of connection. I like what you said too, Lisa, learning, education. Anyone else have something? You think the, the wise, good communication in marriage, vital. Anybody else got maybe one more you want to put up here? Why is it vital? It, yes. It covers up like confusion. So like, it, I don't know. I like that. Avoid, helps avoid avoids. confusion. Yeah. It helps avoid confusion. And me and Janicia did not communicate on this ahead of time. Mm -hmm. We did not collaborate, but I put that down, Janicia, and I put it this way. 
I say it helps you gain an understanding. Because often in marriage you can have misunderstandings. Doesn't that happen? You ever have misunderstandings in your marriage? But when you communicate, it helps you avoid that. It helps you clear those things up even. Oh, you meant it this way. Or you thought I meant it this way. This is what I really meant. And that can bless your marriage. Through communication, we gain understanding. Also put on here, through good communication, you resolve conflict. Think about the conflicts you've had in your marriage. Think about them. How did you, how did you resolve that stuff? Did the silent treatment help you with that? No. You resolve conflict through, communi through communication. We need to sit down and have a talk. We need to talk. And maybe we have to talk for a long time. We've had those moments. My wife and I, 20 years, we've had those moments. We've had moments where we stayed late into the night talking, resolving conflicts. And you know what? It, it blessed us. you got to do that. Uh, Brother Tom, yes, sir. So I kind of view it that Lisa's my best friend. Yes. So if I was sitting here and unmarried, I would think about my best friends. Do I talk to them? Do I communicate with them? Do we do we know what each other's doing? Do we know when we're going to see each other? Do we have a plan for what we're going to do over the weekend? So, if my spouse my spouse should be my best friend mm -hmm. in this case, she is, and so all of those things apply. When I have good news, she's the first call. Bad news, it, it, you know, you're constantly looking to that person. That's your that's your go to. That's your number one person. Absolutely. I like how you put that. Marriage is, is a friendship. It's your best, should, she should be your best friend. That's the way it should be for every married couple. And if it's not, that's a problem. That's a problem. And you nurture that friendship through communication. That's how you nurture it. I like that. That's good, Tom. Uh, Brother Jason, yes, sir. For the family structure, it's imperative because God makes us as one. And so... If we're going to raise our children, we need to be in step. So to, to raise a family effectively, there needs to be an understanding from day one and communication on like how we're going to do this, what, what, what our standards are going to be, what, where we stand on things. Because if the kids, since there is two different parents there that have different ways of doing things, and they're not joined, they're going to divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And no, so that's good. it's imperative to, to the family unit um, yes. to have a strong family unit. I like that. You, and, a, and, a, and a husband and a wife have to be on the same page to have a strong family, to raise the kids in unity. And communication is a big part of that because kids are smart. And they learn that pretty quick if, if the parents are not on the same page. Because they listen. They listen to the communication. And if, if, they can t if they can tell we're on the same page, they will try to divide and conquer. We've been through it both. We know. And it started even earlier with the girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? She caught on it real quick. So, so that's important, especially when it comes to raising kids. I like that, Jason. i give you one more here to think about, and then we'll get to the next part. Through good communication, all your answers are fantastic. These are just great answers. I also put you express love. You know, a lot of times, well, we know our spouse loves us. But sometimes you want to hear it. You want to hear it. And that does something. 
And, and that's important. That's important the longer, especially the longer you marry, to keep hearing that re reaffirmation of love and hearing those, those romantic words. If you don't believe that's important, read the Son of Solomon. Because the Son of Solomon, that's, that's a journey of marriage. And their fire for each other only grows stronger through the years. It doesn't stop on the honeymoon or after the honeymoon is over. And a lot of that poetic language you hear in that book, those are, those are romantic words that grow stronger as the years go on. Young people, don't ever buy into this lie that romance is, is supposed to die. That is a lie. That is a lie from the pits of hell. The romance, if you do this right, your fire for your spouse can burn stronger and in a different way even as the years go on, even as the body changes and looks change and things like that. You can grow stronger if you're doing it right, if you're, if you're nurturing your relationship with good communication. Okay? So I think that's some good stuff there. Now, let's talk about abuse, abuse of communication. So that's the good stuff, but so often... Marriage, in the marriage, we cannot have good communication. We can abuse it. Like anything, it can be used for good or bad. So what are some ways in which we can abuse it? Brother Austin, yes, sir. First. Sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. your, your hand went up quick on that one, Austin. <laughs> I've been figuring out which column I'll comment on. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about myself on this one. Uh, Assuming is probably the main word, but you know, assuming um, the other person's intentions when they say something. Assuming intentions. Absolutely. And that ha I like how you brought that up. I like that because that really happens often when you like when people text and do things on Facebook. That's why I don't like really communicating through that because you can't read body language and things. But it can also happen with words. And, and that's exactly right. And, and I'm with you. I'm guilty as charged. A lot of conflicts come through bad communication, and some of it involves assuming intentions. Yeah, when you should just most of the time just take it at face value, but guys, you start reading into stuff. You really mean you, you really mean this? You shouldn't. <laughs> yes, that's very good, Austin. Anybody else? What's some ways? Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay. Oh yes, belittling. I, I even put in my notes on that one. I probably spelled belittling wrong. Add a T. Another T. I'm from Texas. We can't spell. Um, but I even put on, I even put on mine. I even put on mine um, insults. Insulting. I put that on mine. And um, that's not good. I mean, that's, there's, a book, there's, a good, there's a good book uh, called His Needs, Her Needs. I don't know if you've read that. Maybe some of you read that book before. I recommend it. But in the book, one of the things the writer talks about is making deposits into a love bank and making withdrawals. So you make deposits in the love bank when uh, a man can spontaneously, you know, send his wife roses to, to her job. That's a big deposit. You and you, every woman is different. Like that may not be a deposit for your wife. Your wife may just want a credit card to go shopping. Okay, that's a big deposit. But withdrawals is stuff like this. Assuming intentions, belittling, now you're taking withdrawals out. And when you go bankrupt, you got problems. So, so this is a big withdrawal here. Belittling, mocking, uh, calling names. And, and both ways, for the wife and the husband to do that is wrong. 
Okay? It's wrong both ways. Anybody else? What's some other ways we can abuse this? Anybody else have some? I got a bunch of things I jotted down. Sean? Oh, yes. Yes, Michelle. Withholding it? Yes. Can you, can you elaborate on that more, Michelle, sure. if you don't mind, ma'am? Sure. Um, it probably has to do with, like, the shutting down that we referred to is kind of what my, I kind of first went to, but kind of like, I know something bothers my spouse, like, so I'll just, just be quiet about that. Just mm -hmm. let them kind of get frustrated, like, intentionally frustrating someone yes. by either poor communication, lack of communication. Um, and, and no, that's good. That's good, especially if you're married to somebody where that kind of stuff matters and you know that, so you want to get under their skin by not saying anything. Uh, in certain moments where you know they want something from you, they want to hear something. I think that's really good. I like that. Uh, yes, yes, ma'am. I don't really know if this can be something with one word, but like forcing someone to read between the lines. I don't really know how to say that. <laughs> and I, that, and, no, I like that. Yeah. And that kind of, in some ways, connects to Austin's comment. Um, and let me tell you something. If you want me to be a mind reader, I can't do it. But so often that's what we want our spouse to do. We want them to be able to read our minds. I don't care how long we're married to somebody. Can't do it. Uh, it's best just to say it. Wouldn't that be, I guess that would be like deception then. It's a form of deception. Because you're just you're deceiving the other person a little bit because you're trying to get it. Allison, I, I think that's very good. I think that's really good. I put on my list name calling. You remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about if you just say to your brother, fool, call him a fool, you're guilty of the high court. And Jesus there is making the point it's not enough just to avoid you know murdering somebody. You don't need to be insulting people. You don't need to be calling people names. That's the point that he's making there. He uses that, that language. So the name called. And that's, that can be a big one. That can be a big one. You know, just you get frustrated, you get mad. They say, you know, you're, just, you're, you're calling your spouse just ugly, garbage names. Uh, cursing. You know, I, I didn't hear anyone say that one because we're Christians. You know, we're Christians, but in a lot of marriages, and even some Christian marriages, people use dirty language. When they get mad and have some problems. And the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, no unwholesome words should be coming out of our mouths. Ever. Being condescending. I hate when anybody talks to me condescending. I hate that. That's one of my pet peeves. And it, it, it's bad in marriage too. I hate when people insult my intelligence, talk down to me. I don't like that. And... Uh, we got to avoid that in marriage. Being condescending. Regular criticizing. Everything we say is a criticism. Oh, I don't like your driving. Oh, this, uh, you, you, this is a little too done today. I don't like that show. I don't like that dress. Just always criticizing. Nothing positive ever. Is that going to lead to a good blessed, happy marriage where every word is a criticism? Threats. That's going to lead to you not wanting to be together. Yes, you don't want to be around that person. And why on earth are you, I mean, dig deep to find out what, why are you having this attitude? Absolutely. That is not the attitude we should have. And maybe that's the question that needs to be asked if we have a spouse doing it. Like, what's, what's going on here? What's your real problem with me? What about threats? 
making threats towards your spouse. If you don't do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to withhold something from you. Uh, you're going to sleep over here tonight. Or I'm going to sleep over there. Or I'm not going to speak to you for such and such amount of time. Threats. You don't threat your spouse. You don't threat the person you're supposed to be one with. And then how about the big one? Lying. We all know lying's a sin. But how often are people guilty of that in their marriage? And it could be something about lying about what's really wrong with you, kind of going with Tom is saying. Not being honest about it. We have to be honest. A marriage must be built on God, but trust. If you want to ask my opinion, this is just my opinion, okay? Us, why Jesus makes that exception in Matthew 19, 9. You know the exception I'm talking about, don't you? If your spouse cheats on you, you can put them away for sexual immorality. You, you know that. Why does God allow that if he hates divorce? In my view, I believe the main reason why God allows that exception is because of the broken trust. Uh, your spouse is becoming one with somebody else. Paul talks about him at that in 1 Corinthians 6, becoming one with the prostitute. He's talking about sex there, becoming one. So when someone cheats on their spouse, they have broken the oneness. They have become one flesh with somebody else. And that trust is broken. And God gives that innocent person a way out if they want that. If they want that. Because it's hard to trust after that. It's hard to be intimate after that. And if your spouse is late five minutes getting home, they really could have been stuck in traffic. And you're like, no, no, you did it to me again. You did it again. And that leads to more conflict. You see what I'm saying? At least the conflict. Now, again, you don't have to put your spouse away. Because if you do, that person can never get married again. Can never get married again. But I think there's a reason why God allows that exception. And I think because God knows his creation. And he knows once you lose trust, it's hard to get it back. <clears throat> forgiveness and trust are the same thing. You know that, right? We can forgive somebody. We're supposed to forgive people. But you're supposed to trust them again. I mean, Austin would never do this. I know he's my brother. I love him. He's my friend. He's one of our shepherds. But if Austin through the years was stealing, and again, Austin would never do this from the church treasury. We could forgive him for that, but we're going to make him the church treasury again? Right? If somebody's guilty of child molesting, we can forgive him. We're going to let him teach a Bible class, a kid's class. Trust and forgiveness are two different things. And, and you got to be careful with those things. you got to be careful with the trust. You lose trust, it may be, may be impossible to get it back. I tell my kids all the time. I tell Shemai, you got a phone. As long as I can trust you. When you break that trust, uh, you won't get it back. It's gone. It's, you lose your phone and my trust for you is gone. Lisa, yes ma'am. So I thought of it this when we were going over this last week. But it applies to that and the column we're doing right now. Is you can't do any of those without hurting yourself too. Yes. So Because you are one. So if you do any of those, shutting down, blowing up, digging in, walking out, or abuse communication in any of those ways, you're not just hurting the one you love. You're hurting yourself. Amen. So 
I think that's a fantastic point. And Paul even makes that point in Ephesians 5 when he says no one ever uh, hurts his own flesh. Nobody hurts himself. He's making the point that to the husband, if you hurt your wife, well, you don't nurture her, cherish her. You hurt, you're doing harm to yourself. Would you do that to your own body? That's Paul's making the same point you just made. You know it. You know your Absolutely. That's, that's a great point. So let's talk about this last thing real quick. Um, there's so much we can say about this. Y'all are just a fantastic class. You really are. Um, you know, I wrote down in my notes that if I had some time, and I don't, we could talk about the differences in communication. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that next, uh, next Wednesday. Because many women don't communicate the same, do they? There are different ways we communicate a lot of times. So maybe you want to think about some things to bring to the table on that next Wednesday. But let's just close with this. How do we communicate effectively? How, how do we communicate effectively with our spouse? I just want to end on a positive note so we can have some solutions. Starting now, I don't care how long you've been married. You've been married 5, 10, 15, whatever. What can we offer tonight to help, you know, help me and my wife, help you and your spouse, help these young people about effective communication? Let's do a quick list real quick. The 10 rules. The ten rules. Oh, yes. Those are really good. The ten rules. If you wrote those things down, that'll help you. Absolutely. Anybody else? Uh, Allison, then I'll come to you next, Lisa. Um, I would say being conscious of and being aware, being awake, because all of this that I feel like we've talked about is a lot of it has to do with just going along. You know, because we just get busy and we live our lives really quick and everything. And so we're not, we're just, we're just reacting to stimulus around us, you know. We're just in that the moment deep. and reacting. And that, that is deep. I like that, Allison, because so often we can lose awareness of the needs of our spouse and the need to constantly communicate with our spouse because life gets busy. Uh, jobs, like I, like we said on Sunday, some work 40 to 70 hours a week. Our kids, all over the place, sports, schoolwork. Um, you, you, some of y'all are caregivers, maybe. you got parents that are sick, so you're dealing with that. That's stress from that, too. And then we got our church obligations, our kingdom obligations. So that can just pile on you, a lot piling on you to where you lose track and lose the awareness of the needs of your spouse which really is a, an obligation that goes before that stuff. I mean, it even ties to kingdom work, obviously, but we can't lose track of that. That's when communication is breaking down. Uh, Lisa, yes, ma'am. So this comes from teaching. We learn about explicit instruction. So it's be clear and do it often. Oh, I like that. Be clear. I love that. You're explicit about what you need, what you're feeling, what, whatever it, it is you need to communicate. Be clear about it. In fact, that was something that I was going to ask y'all to do for, you know, for the next few weeks as we do this class. Carve out time every day. I don't care how busy you are. To just talk with your spouse. Just talk. We put the kids, it could be when the kids are in bed. You just laying, laying in the bed together, sitting in the bed together, just talking. How was your day? You just talk about something. You don't want to talk about work. Talk about something that connects you. That's important. Janine said, I always do that. We have to. We tell Shamayne, he wants to always come out and do something. Man, you better use the bathroom, get your drink, whatever you got to do. Turn off Karate Kid on Netflix. Whatever you got to do before this time hits, get it done. Because you ain't coming out after that. This is mom and daddy time. 
We we don't we do we do it last night with him. We don't come out of here. This is our time here. This is grown up time. Tie the kids for a little bit. So I like that. Some other things I had put on here just real quick. Always speak the truth. This and this is the same list I I gave you of uh, Jason. I gave you on page twenty six at the top. Always be honest with your spouse. Always avoid harsh words. Avoid that. Keep your anger in check. Sean Jeffries first. Got to keep our anger in check. We need to listen. Listening is important. Sometimes our spouse just wants us to hear them. And, and, that, and that's important. And listening involves this for us as men. Turn the TV, the game off. I remember when I was 23... And I was at Dowling Road in Beaumont where my mentor Max is. And we were having some marriage studies. And a guy said, the man said, hey, so what do we need to do with our wives when they're talking to us? And me being a 23-year-old dumb kid said, turn the game on mute. Everybody thought I was the biggest idiot in the room. They said, you turn it off. What are you talking about? So uh, they, never, they, they kept missing me. They could see how immature I was at 23. Uh, always speak from good intentions. You always speak from good intentions. Watch your body language. Body language is important. You know, we need to show our spouse we really are listening. Think before you speak. Always think before you speak. And then the last thing I put on here is a bonus. Just do it. Communicate. Do it tonight. Go home and talk and just make sure you carve out that time to talk with your spouse and listen. Yes, Janelle. Yes, ma'am. Really quick, just yes. along with that body language, I also think that tone is like oh, a huge yes. thing. Like, it's uh, it's just huge, and I, I'm guilty of it. That is important. As much as it's, it's not always, it's not just what we're saying; it's how, how we're saying we say it. How we're saying it. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, we'll say a few more things about this next week. Uh, Jason, these classes get away from us quick, don't they? <laughs> they get away quick. <laughs> so. We'll stop right there, but the main...